they had a deep desire to move into the community where the church was. And so they prayed and they prayed and God showed them a house and it wasn't what they expected. But God delivered on that and then has continued delivered. When they sold their house, actually, the guys who bought it gave them money. Yeah. The people who bought it were like, you're going into ministry. We want to bless that. That's literally what they said to him. And they gave him money. Uh, because God, God's provision. So when, when we take these steps and we're like, God, we don't know what's going to happen, the way that we know that we're doing right is the word of God, but also God provides for the mission. So often when we take these steps, we're like, oh, man. And some people are like, no, this could just be a really bad decision. Then you start to see how God provides, and you can't fight provision, right? Like when God is giving you the things that you need to equip you for the mission, there's no way to say, no, this isn't a God thing. Because if you were pursuing a path that was not the mission and the the mission God has called you to, then you're not going to have all the provision that you need. God is going to take care of you no matter what. But when you're following God with provision, you have peace. You have direction. You have guidance. And God, that's how God provides for us. I was meeting with somebody this week, and this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just thought it was really cool. There's a guy named Francis Chan, and some of you might know him. He's in California. But he gave this sermon illustration, and he was talking about his daughter. And he says, when I tell my daughter to clean my room, I expect her to do it. So I tell her to go clean her room. And then a couple days later, I go back, and I was like, did you clean your room? And she's like, Dad, I, I know I need to clean my room. She was like, and that's going to happen then. But she was like, I believe in the mission to clean my room so much that I told two of my friends about you asking me to do this. And we're going to get together, and we're going to talk about cleaning our rooms. And we're going to pray about it, and we're going to have conversation about what it means to clean your room. Man, that sounds like us. God's given us a scripture, and he's given us a mission, but all we do is get together and talk about it sometimes. Y'all feel that? It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I want to do amazing things for the Lord. Let's get together in a small group and talk about how we're going to do it. Right? Let's talk about the scripture that tells us what to do. What, what would be more productive? If we took the scripture and we lived out what God called us to live out. I think that's where we mess up in the modern church is that we forget that God has called us to live on mission. That God has not just called us to sit and to worship and that is part of it, but your worship leads to the mission. Anytime that we worship, it's going to push us to actively worship God through the ways that we love people. What did God say the greatest commands were? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your soul, with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, God didn't say just sit down and study the scripture all the time and do nothing for anybody else. It's okay. It's great that you read your scripture. Often I'll talk to people and I'll be like, how's your relationship with Jesus? And they'll be like, oh, I didn't have my devotions this week, so I'm not doing that good. I'm like, great. How's your relationship with Jesus? Let's go back. God doesn't get angry when you don't read the scripture. You read the scripture because you need to be nourished. And once you've received that nourishment, what does nourishment lead to? Nourishment leads to loving. When you're nourished, you have the energy to go and to love people. See, if you just sit and read the scripture all the time, you're going to be really, really smart. And I'm going to be like, man, you know so much. And then I'm going to ask you what you've done, and you're going to tell me nothing. And I'm going to say, Father, Father. They came to him, and they say, Father, Father. And he said, depart from me because I never knew you. And you're going to be like, what you talking about? Be like, well, let me tell you what it means to live in a relationship with Jesus. The book of James says that a, a faith without works is a dead faith. That does not mean we are saved by our works. It means that we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. But when we've been saved by Jesus Christ, there's no way that we can just contain the transformation that he's given us. 
You've been given the greatest gift in the world. Why do you want to keep it inside? See, if I've received something, I want to use it. Think about if you won the lottery. Most of you wouldn't take the lottery and be like, okay, I'm going to put it in the bank and I'm going to get a nice return on this for the rest of my life. You're going to be like, I'm about to buy a boat. And then I'm going to buy Disneyland. Right? You're like, all the Marvel characters are coming to my house. And we're having a party. And they got to wear their costumes. And they're going to make me super rich. Right? Like, we're going to have a ceremony. Pluto's going to be there. It's going to be amazing. No, I'm just kidding. So it's like when we, when we receive something, we want to we pour it out. We've forgotten that we have to pour it out. We've been on this journey of Scripture from Genesis, and now we're into Exodus. We're going to continue to journey through the Bibles. It, it might take us 25 years, but I got it. We'll be okay. Well, God willing, I got it. So, uh, But it might take us 25 years, and I'm thankful for that, that I get the opportunity to preach through the Word, to preach through the Bible, the context that God has given us. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 today. But before we do that, Justin and uh, Grayson, can y'all help me out? There's a box over here with some baggies. Can y'all give one of those to everybody? Just hold your baggie. We'll get to that later. Some of you are going to get your baggie, and you're like, ah, I know what this guy's talking about. I got it figured out. You don't, Justin. Uh, you might know a piece, but we're going to go somewhere completely different. So Exodus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Y'all don't pray for us before we do that because I need that. I can't do this. I cannot preach the word of God perfectly. I am not adequate. I'm not capable of that for me. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are the Lord of lords, that you are the king of kings, that you call us to take a step. Father God, that you've called us into relationship, and once we're in relationship, we've got to show everybody what that relationship looks like. Father God, you call us to things that are greater than us. You call us to things that we don't understand, but we know that your provision is guiding us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, and thank you for your Son. Father God, use me as nothing more than a microphone today to amplify your voice. Father God, take Ricky Wilson out of the equation, because Ricky Wilson is not important, but the Holy Spirit who uses his body as a vessel is important. So I pray that you would use me to speak to the people in this room that you would use me to, to just to show your love and your grace and your mercy. And Father God, that you would help it to be nothing about me, but all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus chapter 2. Last week we talked about how the Israelites stayed in Egypt just a little bit too long because they got comfortable. And once they got comfortable, a new Pharaoh came into power. And that Pharaoh forgot about the, way, the things that Joseph had done for Egypt. Remember, Joseph uh, was predicted, uh, was told by God that there would be seven years of fa- uh, plenty and then seven years of famine to prepare the land. And God worked in that and saved the Israelites by taking them to Egypt where there was no food anywhere else except for Egypt. But then the Egyptians stayed too long. God had given them a mission to go and take the land that he had promised them. But they chose to remain in Egypt because they got comfortable. And when they got too comfortable, a new pharaoh came into power. And that pharaoh made them slaves. That pharaoh made them work. That pharaoh was hard on them. And then when the pharaoh saw they had become too numerous, he told the midwives to kill all the baby boys. And then the midwives didn't do it. And God provided for them. And then there was a decree from another pharaoh that said, now all the babies that are born have to be thrown into the Nile River. Now, the Nile River is interesting because in Egypt, this was the, the river of life. They, they believed that this river was what sustained them. This river had special meaning to them. And so throwing the babies in the Nile River were, was more than just 
getting rid of the babies, but it was almost a pr- appeasement to the false gods. To throw these babies into this river to please the gods of Egypt. So now we move into this next part in chapter 2, where a baby named Moses is born. If you're joining with me, uh, Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now a Levite man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. So remember the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 brothers of Joseph, and Joseph's sons were also in there. And so one of those tribes was the tribe of Levi. As we go through Scripture, we'll see that the Levites, the Levites actually become the Levites, which the Levites were the, the priests of Israel. But before that, in Genesis, we see that they were men of the sword, that they would kill and that they would hamstring oxen, it says. Think about how mean that is, to hamstring an oxen. If you're going to kill an oxen, just kill it. Don't, don't just cut the back of its leg so it sits there and bleeds and dies out. That's cruel. But that's what the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Simeon were. They, they were men of war. They were mean men. And so right here when it says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, that's saying this guy from the tribe of Levi could find no other woman, so he had to marry a Levite woman. That means that they had to marry each other, and they didn't want to marry each other because they knew the stigma that came from being a Levite. And so it's interesting how, the, how God stuck that out right here. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Married the the danger, the the cruelty, the lesser tribes of Israel. They marry each other, and that's where Moses comes from. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that that the child was fine, she hid him for three months. But when he could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she pitched placed the child in it, and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. So the mom takes the papyrus basket and coats it so that it won't stink. Good idea, right? Coats it so that it won't stink, puts him in right by the reeds, hoping someone will find him. And the little sister, doing what little sisters do, they're like, oh, i got to see what happens here. I don't know if she necessarily knows she's concerned for him. I'm sure she is. But she's like, what's about to happen to him, right? So she's checking it out. And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw that the basket was among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw that the baby was crying and felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then the sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, what shall, shall I go to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him from the water. So Pharaoh's daughter, okay, during this time, we're pretty sure that the Pharaoh that was in power was, uh, it's spelled S-I-T-E, okay? Now, I don't know how to pronounce that, because most pronunciations say that it's pronounced Sheth, okay? Uh, I think the Egyptian pronunciation is more like Sidi. I don't know, it sounds weird, right? Because there was also an Egyptian god named Sidi. And that Egyptian god named Sidi had a uh, aardvark head with a human body. And so they believed that this pharaoh was concentrated under Sidi, the god. And so this pharaoh who's in power, Sidi, has a daughter. And we can look historically to validate all of this. 
I think that's the thing that we forget sometimes. We're like, oh, the Bible. We forget that it lines up historically with everything that ever happened in history because this is a historical document. Right. So when I was researching for this, I went back and began to search Egyptian history and found confirmation on everything that I was searching through. Dides was the pharaoh. He was only pharaoh for about 15 years. Now, it's possible that Ramses the first was pharaoh when this happened. But we think that it was Dides and then Ramses the second actually comes into power. But right now it's Dides and Dides has a daughter and uh, the daughter sees Moses. And she feels sorry for him and she takes him. Now, this has to be a God thing, because during this time, they were putting babies in this water. It wasn't that she was just seeing all the babies and was like, oh, this one's better. It wasn't that she was looking for babies. She was going down there to bathe. She was going down there with a purpose. But God's provision on this little boy helped her to find him. And then God's provision on this woman helped her to take him in. Because she would have seen babies. She knew what was going on. Her, her grandfather most likely had pushed this into power, had made this a law. And so now she's here and she sees this baby. It wasn't just because she was a good woman that she took this baby. It was because God was working through someone who didn't even know what they were doing. Because God can work in ways that we don't even understand sometimes. God can work through people that we would have never thought he would work through. God takes Pharaoh's daughter and She brings in this baby, and then the sister's there at just the right time because there's nothing about coincidence. This is purpose. The sister's there, and she sees it. She takes him in, and she says, hey, do you want me to go get a Hebrew woman? Do you want me to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby for you? And she's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So she goes to her mom, and is like, hey, you remember that baby you put in the water, Moses, or whatever his name was at that point? Remember that baby you put in the water? Pharaoh's daughter found him. Think about the mom. Probably just crying, right? Because if you're a mom, you're like, oh, God, thank the Lord. If I can't have him, I just want him to be safe. I just want him to be safe. I want to know that he's cared for. And he's going to be cared for in a miraculous way this way. And she's crying. And then she says, but there's more. He wants you to nurse her. He wants you to nurse him. Can you imagine the joy? He wants you to nurse the baby that you had just given up, that you thought you would never see again, that you, you very likely may have died right there. She wants you to come, and she wants you to care for him. She wants you to be with him until he's ready to go. You get more time with him. You get more opportunity with him. You get to see the baby you thought you'd never see again. And, the bear, and she comes back, and she pays her to nurse him. What? I don't know if y'all have ever nursed a baby. I haven't, but like I've seen my wife. My daughter's tried, trust me, but like uh, in the middle of the night, you don't know what's happening. And the babies are just like, I need a nurse. And you're like, oh, that's not going to work, right? And so nursing a baby is time consuming. Hours a day. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's, it's hours a day. It's constant. If you're in the car and a baby's got to eat, you know what you got to do? you got to nurse it. So it's all this work, and moms do it willingly for their babies because they love them. But think about doing that because it's your duty, because you want to love your baby, and then someone being like, hey, I want to pay you. That's like you getting paid to watch Netflix. See, but when God provides for something, when God calls to something, he blows your mind away with his provision. It doesn't always look like money. It looks like maybe getting a baby and then God be and she being like, this is all I've ever needed. This is all I ever wanted. And then being like, let me show you some more. 
Let me give you a little bit more. Let me show you more what I want to do with you. Because this baby was going to have great purpose, and God knew that, and this baby needed to be cared for. But there was a deeper reason that God allowed this mom to come back to this baby. Because this baby was a Hebrew. Because this baby was an Israelite. And the Pharaoh and his daughter were not. They were Egyptians. They would have been raised in this plurality of gods. And these gods that were animals but had human bodies. These gods who required ritual sacrifices. These gods who wanted not good things for you but wanted you to please them. And so God knew that Moses needed to grow in the ways of him. So he brought provision for him to fulfill the duty, fulfill the purpose that he had called him to. He gave him more time with his mother, and his mother was able to have him. And we think that the nursing period was around three to five years. So Moses probably stayed with his mom until he was around five years old. And so around five years old, he's already developed the Hebrew language. His mom has had opportunity to pour into him, to teach him about the God of generations. And so... Moses was being prepared by his mother, by God, before he was going to go into the Egyptian society and to be trained in those ways. And so God was giving him provision. Now, the name Moses means drawn out of the water, if you didn't get that from the scriptures. But that's what the name Moses means. It's actually an Egyptian name. So Moses received an Egyptian name. And so Moses gets to an age of about five is what we believe. And his mom, and this is still hard for the mom, I'm sure, to go to the Egyptian, uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter and say, here is your son now giving him up. But I know that I've done everything that I can for him. God gave me five more years. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'm going to give her to him because God's got a bigger plan for him than I could ever know. But I'm going to see it. He gives her to Pharaoh and then Moses is trained in the finest education. Moses becomes the grandson to a Pharaoh. Moses grows up. Moses has everything he could ever ask for. Now Moses has all the Hebrew education and all the Egyptian education. Moses now knows how they think. One day after Moses had grown up, it says, he went out to where his people were and watched their hard labor. So he goes out and he sees how the Pharaoh has pushed them into slavery and he watches the Hebrews. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and asked them, What is wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, You made your, you, you, the man said, You made you, you ruler. Okay, I'm trying. Stick with me. The man said, Who made you ruler? There it is. And judge over us. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. And so at this point, somewhere in here in the last probably 20 to 30 years, because Moses is probably around 30 years old now, he, a new pharaoh comes into power. So Sidi has died, and here comes Ramses II. And so Sidi and his daughter probably had a special love for Moses. But here comes Ramses II, who has no special love for Moses. Ramses II was the longest tenured pharaoh in Egyptian history. Ramses II was also the most influential and accomplished the most buildings and accomplishments out of any ever pharaoh to ever live, ever. How did he do that? Slave power. (laughs) 
from the Israelites, right? That's, how's that line up with the historical context of Scripture, right? He accomplished so much because he had so much slave labor. And so Ramses comes in, and Moses gets scared that they know what he had done. But first of all, let's rewind just a little bit. So here's Moses watching the Israelites toil in the sun, watching them build, watching the oppression that had been put on them, watching the sadness coming from their eyes, seeing how miserable they were. And inside Moses, something snapped. Inside Moses, everything that God had been doing for him and preparing for him, he starts to see a purpose, and he starts to have a holy discontent. He begins to have something inside of him that he sees wrong with the world and wants nothing more than to fix. See, we all have a holy discontent. You sitting there right now, you see something wrong with the world, and you want to play a part in fixing it. And you study about it, and you study about it, and you say, this is how I'm going to change the world. But then you just keep talking about it. And you never take any action to change the world. See, my holy discontent is discipleship. I want to see true disciples made of Jesus Christ. I don't just want to see people sitting in churches anymore. I don't want to see people come to know Jesus, get baptized, and then sit for the rest of their lives. Because they're not going to be used for the rest of their lives. I want to see Christians and disciples who care about the local church. Because I care about the local church. This is the local church. This is God's plan for everything. Everything else that's not a local church is not of God. It's of Satan. Now, God might use it. But if it doesn't come from the local church, it wasn't met by Jesus to be used in the local church. It wasn't met by Jesus to be used in the world. Freestanding ministries are fine. God can use them. But his chosen provision was the local church. Why would he call it his bride? And why would he call it his body? Because he didn't care about it. If you have a wife or a husband and you're married to him and, you're, and someone comes up to you, is that your wife? Yeah, she sucks. I don't really like her. I don't like spending time with her. Don't really care about her. She looks like she just came out of a mud pit with three pigs, right? She's dirty. She creates all the problems in the world. She's a hypocrite. She's this. She's that. She's everything wrong with society. She's the reason that every bad thing has ever happened ever. And then flip that, and someone comes up to their wife, and they're like, yeah, look at that guy. I don't even got to say anything. She already knows. She's the one. Right? What do, you, what do you think Jesus thinks when we say that about his body and his bride? Yeah, you don't, you don't call something your bride if you don't have a love for it. You don't call something your bride if you don't have a plan for it. You don't call something that with no meaning. Some people often tell me I don't have to go to church to know Jesus. And I often tell them, yes, you do. Because why would he call it his bride if he doesn't care about it? I can watch TV. I can watch Jesus online. There's a pastor. He comes on my TV. It is really good. And I'm going to be like, no, he might be really good. And he might give you some extra stuff to think about, but he's not your pastor. And that's not your church. Jesus told you to be a part of a local church, a church that is ordained by him to transform the communities and the county and the world. Jesus wants you to live in community with family because he cares about you. 
That's my holy discontent. Moses picks up a holy discontent right here, and he sees the Hebrews laboring, and he says, i got to do something about it. I've learned. I've been prepared. Now I have to do something. Now, Moses probably does something that he shouldn't have done, right? He maybe took a little bit more time and figured out a little bit more of a plan, but he acts. And God's sovereignty covers it. And he kills the Egyptian. And he hides him in the sand. And he says, now things will begin to change. Then the next day he goes out. And he sees two Hebrews fighting because he's got a holy day. He wants the Hebrews to be liberated. He wants the Hebrews to work together. He wants the Hebrews to have unity. And he sees them fighting. Y'all ever seen two Christians fighting? What the? What's wrong with us? We're going to fight with another Christian out in public? If you've got fighting to do, do it right here. I'll moderate. But you don't fight with a Christian outside. If you fight with a Christian outside, think about how everybody who doesn't know Jesus looks at you. They're like, there's them Christians again. They can't even get along with each other. You don't know. You think anybody wants to be a part of that? When they look at them bad-mouthing each other? I'm about to go to the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville this week. You want to know why I want to go there? I want to go there because I'm tired of all these Christians fighting with each other. I'm tired of all these guys saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about this and I'm all about that. I'm like, get all about Jesus. Forget about everything else. Don't fight with someone if a woman can speak on stage or not. First of all, you're stupid because they can. But second of all, let's just get back to it. Women can't be a pastor, but they can talk. I want to sometimes be like, have you guys ever read the Bible? You're preaching it up there, but you're not preaching it right. Let, let's, get, let's reiterate this. Why, why are we fighting about this when we could be telling people about Jesus? You use your mouth for The book of James says that the tongue is like a viper spewing poison. Your, your throat is an empty grave. If we would use our tongues to talk about Jesus, wow. If pastors would just talk about Jesus, oh, we'd, be, we'd have some local churches. going there says here's my holy discontent moses had a holy discontent moses wanted change and he sees the hebrews fighting and he goes he says hey guys don't fight with each other it's going to be okay and what do they say you don't tell me what to do you don't know more than i do you think you're the ruler over us we know what you did see because how 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 good at christians are at that calling out our sin calling out other people's sin. You don't tell me what to do. I know what you did. I know what you did. I know exactly what's going on with you right now. Right when y'all get in the car and drive it over to Mary Hammond. I hope that doesn't happen here to Mary. Some places it does. But he starts to say, you're not good enough to tell me what to do. You're not good enough. So they start to hit on Moses because they're so they're so broken. They're filled with hurt. And so they hurt others. And they tell Moses, we know what you did. Moses gets scared and he leaves. And Pharaoh then begins to try to kill him. Pharaoh then begins to try to kill him. And he runs and he leaves and he finds this well. And he's at this well in Midian. And he goes out to the well and he's just sitting there. And then there's seven daughters. And seven daughters are trying to feed their cattle. 
And then here come some shepherds and some sheep, and they push them all the way. They're like, get out of here. Get out. The men's got to do some work. We got to feed our sheep. You go find water somewhere else. Right? And they just, we're not doing that. Nobody should keep doing that. When we see social injustice, we got to speak up for social injustice. Nobody else is going to do it if you don't do it. When you see something wrong, you got to stick up for that person. When you see someone being mocked and ridiculed, you got to stick up for them because Christ has called you to be the truth in the world. When someone's getting hurt and someone's getting taken advantage of, you got to speak up for them. That's why Jesus called us to go to the widows and the poor and the broken and the hurting and the prostitutes because nobody's going to stick up for them if we don't. we gotta, we got to be there for them. And so Moses speaks up and he pushes them away. And it says that he then gets the water for them. He takes care of all of it. He doesn't just stop it, but he puts in the work right there. Because Moses has something that he wants to see change. Zipporah becomes his wife. And Moses stays there for a long time. Moses had this calling to change this. But when Moses was confronted by the Hebrews, when Moses had his shame and his guilt brought up, Moses became, became unworthy. He started to believe that he was unworthy, so he ran from his calling and he left. He said, I can't do it because there's too much animosity against me. There's too much working against me. There's someone who wants to kill me. I can't do it. I've got to go over here and I've got to be comfortable. i just got to remain here. I have a wife and I have a son now. I need to stay here outside of what God wanted for me. But I can stay here and I can, I can be a shepherd and I can take care of the things here. And I've, maybe somebody else will do it. You all ever think that? Something needs to be done, but somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will make it happen. I, I can stay here and I'm going to be fine. I'm not that important. Right? You ever feel that? I'm not that important. Somebody else will do it. Moses starts to believe that because he'd been confronted with his shame and his guilt. And he started to feel unworthy. See, this is the same man who went out with no one and confronted an Egyptian. The passion that he had for this. He went out and he confronted an Egyptian and he ended up killing him. That's the passion that he had for this. He wanted to change it and he was going to change it at all costs. And he's confronted and he's told that he's unworthy and he believes that he's unworthy. So he leaves and he goes and he finds comfort. In verse 23, it says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So the city has died. Ramses II has come into power. Moses is out here being comfortable. The Israelites are groaning to God, and God hears their groaning. See, God could have saved Egypt from the get-go, but he wanted them to ask. He wanted them to get to the point where they were so over the false gods where they were so over the culture, where they began to say, we can't do this anymore. We need God who we turn from. And God said, I'll hear you no matter where you cry out. And they finally cry out. And they cried out, and God said, I got you. 
He says, I've got a man who I put a passion in. I'm going to have to redirect him because he feels unworthy. But I'll tell you what, I'll make him worthy and I'll show the world that my exact God will not be defeated, that no Egyptians, no Pharaoh will keep God down. I will show them that I give even the dirtiest purpose, that I give even the most worthless purpose, that I use everyone no matter who they are and I redeem them through the blood of Christ to show them the purpose that I'm calling them to. All you got to do is groan out in your suffering and God will come to you. We forget about that sometimes. God's not against you. God is for you. Even in the hardest part of your life, even in the, when you don't know what's going to happen, God is there for you. He wants you. He's desiring you. He's just waiting for you to ask him. But I think sometimes we ask the wrong questions. We're like, God, tell me. God, show me. Well, he's already showed you and told you. So you're asking the same question, and he's sitting up there going, oh. My daughter this morning, Taylor, was at the house, and uh, Ellie wanted to play hide-and-seek. Or no, Ellie was actually with Charlie, like, with y'all. And Taylor was like, he's at home. And Ellie was like, where's Charlie? And he was on his phone after that, and he just laid on his phone for a minute. And Ellie was like, Taylor, 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 where's Charlie? Taylor, where's Charlie? Taylor, where's Charlie? Huh, 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 huh? And Taylor was like, I told you he's at the house. And Ellie was like, why? Tell me why he's at the house. And Taylor got back on his phone, and Ellie was like, why, Taylor? Why, Taylor? Why, Taylor? And Ellie's four, right? So she don't ask for it ever. And then he finally said, he's at the house. I didn't bring him with me this morning. And Ellie said, okay, I'll tell him right now. Right? If you would have just said that from the very beginning, we'd have been done. See, that's how we sound to God sometimes. And God has grace upon us so he doesn't get angry about that. But think about it. He's like, I've already shown you. I've already shown you. I've already shown you. I've already shown you. I told you this. Didn't I give you the Bible? Didn't I place these people around you? That's why the church has to step up and be the church. Because sometimes people are looking for an answer, looking for a body, looking for a bride. But we're so busy, focused on this, focused on in this, that we forget to love people the way that this told us to love people. And so we're sitting there, we're asking God, and he's already shown up to you. But we're too, we have too much little value in ourselves to see that, he, that we're worthy to him, that he loves us, that he wants to use us. But we're so busy focusing on our shame and our guilt that we never cry out and we never say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. God, I've seen your word. See, some people are not as lucky as us. Some people don't have this. Want to know why people don't have this? Because we haven't taken it to them. Yeah, yeah, wait, 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 what's that? Wait, what breaks my heart? Because I'm guilty of it. I haven't taken it to him. I haven't taken it to him. We got others crying out. We just need to cry out to God. Cry out to him. Let him know that you're ready for a movement. Let him know that you're ready to sacrifice. Let him know that you're ready to step out on faith. Whatever your holy discontent is, this thing in your life where you see it and you know it needs to be changed, it's time for you to step up and change it through the power of the Holy Spirit because you're the only one who's going to do it. But you're not going to do it alone. You've got to place his spirit inside of you and it captures all of you. He's ready to fight the fight. But I need you to know that you may feel guilty. You may feel like you're not good enough. You may, shame may stop you from fulfilling this. But you have to fight against that because that is the enemy pulling you away from fulfilling the purpose that God has called you to. Now you can't miss out on what God has for you because of his sovereignty. So when Moses left and he was sitting in this land, God was just preparing him. 
He felt unworthy. He felt like he couldn't be used. But God was giving him time to sit. Time to feed the sheep. Time to know what it was to love something. He was giving him time with these sheep as a shepherd. Giving him time to experience this simple life. Giving him time to know what it means to care for people by caring for the sheep. Because soon Moses would be caring for a lot of sheep. Because in that moment, Moses didn't see it. And when God gave him the Genesis chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 3, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Oh, man, he's, his father-in-law is a priest? Man, God must really have been preparing him. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Oh, man, the mountain of God. Remember, the mountain of God, we believe, is where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac also. And we believe that this is where uh, Jesus died on the cross. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of a fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the fire, that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see what a strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave, because of their slave driving. And I am concerned about their suffering. I am concerned about their suffering. I care about their suffering. So I came down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry to the Israelites had reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you, Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So Jesus, God, comes down in this burning bush and says to Moses, I have come down to set them free. What does that mean? Because we, we're going to find out in a few chapters that Moses is the one that led them out of, out of Egypt. But what is, how did God come down and do it then? Because God used his body, right? God used his body. God gave him a purpose. Now God was telling him, you're going to lead them out of Egypt, but I'm going to be with you. There's nothing that can stand against you because I'm going to show you. Nothing can break you down. No shame, no guilt can make you feel unworthy because I'm going with you. I'm going to lead my people out of Egypt. I'm going to be there. You're the vessel I'm going to use with me, but know that I get all the glory because you did nothing but listen. Moses says this, who am I to go to Pharaoh? See his, that unworthiness? You guys see that? Who am I to be used? Who am I to do this? You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the ways that I've messed up. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know I struggle with depression. You don't know I struggle with anxiety. You don't know that I've been divorced. You don't know that I've had premarital sex. You don't know that I'm struggling with uh, other temptations. You don't know that I do this and I do that. And God says, I know that you do it. I want to lead you out of it because I want to show you that you're worthy and everything in the past is redeemed by me. I don't look at you as little because of your sin. I look at you as mighty because of the cross. And so he sees him and he says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? 
And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And this will be the sign that you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought all the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. You don't worry about it. You just trust me. I can't even describe myself. That's how great I am. That's what God says to him. I'm more than you human words can display. Just say, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am has sent you. I am wants to use you. The God of all mysteries. The God of all marvelousness. The God of all glory wants to use you. You just say that I am sent you. You just bleed in there. You go in there and you said, I want to use you. See, even though God had already told him I was going to be with you, God had already told him he was going to lead him out. Moses in his humanness, just like we do, say, God, but what about this? God, but what about that? God, if you really want me to do this, how are you going to take care of this? God, if you really want me to do this, how are you going to take care of us selling our house? God, if you really want me to do this, who's going to take care of my dog? God, if you really want me to do this, I have a pack of hot dogs in the fridge, and they're about to expire in three days, and I'd like to stick around and eat them, but, like, what's going to happen? Right? And then you're like, but what about the grass? The grass needs care. And then you're like, but, God, what if they're mean to me? What if I go to that person at the coffee shop, but then they're really mean to me? That's not going to be good for me. That's not going to be good for my heart. That's not going to be good for my soul. And God's like, that's okay. I'm telling you. I got you. I am really sent you. You think I'm going to lead you into a snake pit? You think I'm going to hurt you? There might be some harm. There might be some thorns. But I promise you the one who wears the thorns will bear your pain. I promise you I'm going to care for you. I promise I'm going to take care of you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent to you. This is my name forever. The name you should call me from generation to generation. He says, go and assemble with the elders, and they'll be on board with you. God doesn't say, go and see if they'll say yes. God says, go and assemble with them. They're going to be on board. Now, here's what's going to happen after that. Pharaoh's going to say no at that point. Can you imagine that? I'm going to use you. I'm going to have you lead them out of Egypt with me. But then they're going to say no a lot. Because you know us. We're like, oh, God, they said no. He said he doesn't want me to pray with him. He said he doesn't have anything going on. He, he said no to me. I'm going to go home and go to bed. It's really emotionally draining. Can't do it anymore, God. See, God's saying to Moses, they're going to say no a lot. You've got to be persistent. You've got to show them that I am the great I am. You got to trust me. You got to walk with me. You got to do things that aren't going to make any sense, but I'll show you how good they are. I'll show you how I want to use you. I'll show you how my glory is upon you. I'll show you how I can change the world. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on the sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. They're going to say no a bunch, but then they're going to give you the treasure. <laughs> You're going to go ask Pharaoh to give up all his slave labor so that he has to do it, and they're not just going to send you away after they say no. They're going to send you away with more than you ever expected. Think about that. See, that's how our God works. It doesn't always look like silver and gold. Sometimes it just looks like joy. 
But when you follow God, he provides for you greater than you ever thought. He does things bigger than you ever thought. He gives you more joy. He gives you more peace than you ever thought possible. He says, I don't just want to give you a little. I want to give you a lot. He says, I just don't want you to survive life. I, I know we think that a lot. I'm just surviving. No, God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you everything that you ever imagined. Not cars, not houses. Sometimes it's those things. But he wants to give you the eternal satisfaction and the eternal satisfaction of knowing that you are his son, that you are his daughter, that he cares for you, and that you are one of the ones who changed the world through the power of Jesus. How good is it to serve someone else? Have you guys ever watched Parks and Recreation? Some of you, maybe. It's not on Netflix anymore. You've got to buy that old Peacock. I hate Peacock. But anyways, uh, NBC's going to come after me. But anyways, so on Parks and Recreation one time, there's a woman named Leslie Nope. You all know Leslie Nope? Yeah, right? Leslie Nope. She's super cool. And one time, uh, her boyfriend Ben is like asking for favors for her, and he goes to the police chief. And he's like, oh, I already asked for the favor. I can't ask him for another one. And he goes to him. He's like, I know I've already asked you, but can you do this? And he's like, who's it for? Leslie Nope. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Leslie Nope gets as many favors as she wants. Because Les- the kind of favors that Leslie Nope asks for are the kind of favors that are going to help other people. See? See, our kind of favor is the favor that changes people's lives. Our kind of provision is the provision that changes people's lives. There's nothing sweeter that when Christ uses you to change a person's life, that when Christ uses you to bear their burdens with them, that when Christ uses you to encourage them, to build them up, there was nobody there to build Moses back up, so Christ came and did it himself, just like he does to you through the body of Christ. But Christ comes to him in a bush, and he says, this place is holy ground, take off your shoes. And then he speaks to him, and it says that Moses hid his face. Why did Moses have to hide his face? Because Moses was a sinful human being, and Christ had not yet come to reconcile him to God. So Moses had to hide his face because the glory of God was too much. Because God's presence is more than we can imagine. God's presence is too sweet. God cannot be in the presence of our sin because God is perfect. But God says, I want to know you even though your mistakes. And I want to use you even though you thought well, you were worthless. I want to show you that just a little bit of faith can change the generations. Just a little bit, Moses. You're not going to know the steps, but I promise you I'm going to provide. You don't got to know exactly what's going to happen, but I promise you I'm going to take care of it. You don't got to be scared because I promise you I'm going to be with you. In Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30, it says again, he said, Shall we say the kingdom of God is like, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall he use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet it's planted and it grows and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. With such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. This is a mustard seed. That's what it is. I know a pastor who carries one of these around in his pocket all the time. And it's in this little glass jar. And I would have had a little glass jar, but I didn't have enough time, so I just bought a bigger one. And so this thing is so small, it takes up like one little corner, right? And this says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off small, and then it sprouts up, and it becomes the largest. Also in Scripture, this is what we see. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to jump in the water, and it'll jump in the water. 
once called in Egypt, which is where Moses was. There were some Christians there. They were called Coptic Christians. They were in Egypt, and they were being persecuted because of their faith. And they just prayed that God, that God would show the people there how big he was. That God would show him in such a, them in such a way that they would be able to worship him. And over the course of a couple of weeks, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And then the pyramid moved. A pyramid. You guys know what a pyramid looks like? It's big. Right? So they're praying and it moved. And there was no way to prove how it moved except for God. They couldn't say, well, there was a windstorm and it blew a uh, pyramid because it never happened, right? But the Coptic Christians were standing there and they said that you've been praying for us. And it moved. It didn't, it just didn't move like an ant. It like moved. And you can look that up if you're like, listen, this story's getting too good. You can Google it right now. No, not right now, but later. Um, and so it's like it moved. It moved. Literally the story of this mustard seed. They had faith that God was going to take care of them. They were facing opposition and facing death. I was also meeting with somebody this week, and they were telling me a story. And they were like, there was these pastors in this foreign country, and they came and they lined them up, and they said, we're going to kill all of you for your uh, faith in Christ. And then one of the pastors says, okay, I'm the lead guy, so you kill me first. And then another pastor stands up, and he said, no, you're going to kill me first because I'm the one who organized this trip. And then another pastor says up, no, I'm dying first because I'm the oldest and I'm also a pastor, so I'm going down. And they each had one piece of the Bible, one page of the Bible in their hand. They were ready to die. They had faith in God. They were ready to go. They knew that they were doing the thing that God called them to, that they were going to see change in that country, that they were going to see change in the world, and they were willing to go down for that change. And all they had, this is all they had, they had this much faith in Jesus. They had this much faith in Jesus. This much. Maybe God's calling you to something and you don't think you have enough faith in Jesus. Uh, you got this much? Maybe God's calling you something, you're like, I can never do that. I can't do it. I can't help those people. I don't even know how I do it. I feel bad for those people. My heart breaks for those people, but I couldn't do anything about it. Right? You one of those people look at the TV and then one of those commercials come on for like the that real sad song by Cindy McLaughlin or whatever, and it's all the dogs. And you're like, man, I wish somebody would do something for those dogs. Man, I wish I could do something for those dogs. That's how we are with Jesus. If you ever go to a Christian conference, this is what they're going to do. They're going to give you these pictures of these kids in these foreign countries. And they're going to say, for this amount of money, you could change your life. Yeah, you could do that. Or if you had as much faith in a mustard seed, you could go there and do it for them. Whew. You could go there and do it for them. Hey, adoption's expensive. But I promise you, you can do it. Hey, you know what's not expensive? Foster care dollars. You know what's not expensive? Fostering a kid. And I know some people, are, and I used to say this, I can't do it because it would break my heart. <laughs> and then some guy said that, he looked at me one time, he was like, you can't do it because you broke my, what about their heart? It's better to be loved than not loved at all, right? It's better to change somebody's life by taking an opportunity for you to get hurt than to hurt somebody. Hey, there's kids that could be fostered in Spartanburg. And some of y'all got houses and rooms where you could put one of them. Some of you are like, I can't foster a kid. I'm 
wealth. But you can do other things. Some of you are like, I still live with my parents. Yeah, you can't foster a kid. I understand that. But you can do something. You can show your friends the glory of God because you've been called to set the captives free. And we might all have a holy discontent that looks different than everybody else's, but I promise you the, the core of that, the crux of that holy discontent is to change their life through the power of Christ. Because you do nothing for no one unless you give them the glory of Jesus Christ. Unless you show them the power and the love of Christ. You can build houses all day, but if you don't do it in the name of Jesus, you've done nothing for nobody. You've done nothing for nobody. But when we get up and we can have this much faith, To say, God, I don't even got to leave my community. I can do it. God, I don't even got to leave Spartanburg. I can change people's lives right here. I can do it in the name of Christ. I might not be worthy. I might not be the best. I might not be the most prepared. But I know that if I take a step, God's going to provide for it. I know if I start to walk, he's going to show me exactly how he's going to do it. You got your mustard seed. What are you ready to do? What are you ready to do? What's Christ calling you to do? Or maybe he's calling you to do something within the church. Maybe he's saying, hey, you just need to serve. Maybe he's saying you just need to disciple somebody. Maybe he's just saying you need to be discipled. Maybe you can start small because the mustard seed starts small, but then it blossoms into the biggest tree where other birds can perch. That's where you're at. When you start to do the work, you're gonna, it's going to blossom. And it's not just going to be one life you're changing. It's going to be all the lives you're changing. It's going to be all the lives you're changing through Christ. All the lives you're changing through Christ. You have the power contained inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Not through who you are, but through who Christ is. Because you are a sinner, just like me. That's called disobedience. I make mistakes. I lie sometimes. I say that I'm 20 minutes away when I'm really four and a half hours away. Right? I say that I'm on my way, and I'm really just not even got out of bed yet. Right? Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. But I lie because I'm disobedient toward God. That's just how I am. So I need grace and I need mercy. And we want to get it even deeper. It's not just that I lie. It's that I've almost murdered people. I used to be a drug dealer. I've almost taken the lives of people. I've almost killed them. I've ruined families. I've done all these things. I am not adequate. If you saw a picture on me with a rap list, you'd be like, that person deserves to go to prison for the rest of their lives. But Christ said and saw that I was worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, so he redeemed me from my sin. And my unworthiness does not prohibit me from serving God, and my time does not prohibit me from serving God. We got to get out of this. We don't have enough time to do it. If you got enough time to move, you got enough time to do it. We, it's not about time. Moses had some sheep. Moses had a family, but Moses still did it. He wasn't sure how it was going to happen, but he gave it all up to pursue God. You don't got enough time because you don't want to do it. And some of you are like, I ain't got enough money to give to God. You ain't got enough money because you don't want to do it. Don't give excuses. If you don't want to do it for God, tell him. You know what he's going to say? Okay. That's fine. You just keep doing it on your side. You just keep following your own God. And when you're ready, I'll be here. I hope you get there in time. I hope you got enough time for me one day. Right? I I love you more than anything. I want to be with you. But if you don't got time for me, then you need to find another God to worship. Because you can't worship me and tell me you ain't got time for me. Because I didn't have time either, but I can't find heaven and God on the cross for you. God's calling you to something great. You have this much? You have this much faith in God? 
Do you have this much love for God? Because if you do, then you can do anything that God calls you to do. Because if you do, then you're ready to see the world change for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have this much, you're ready. You're valuable. You're going to do far greater things than you ever imagined you could do. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved you. Not just saved you, but given you purpose and eternity and an inheritance that has no end. You're ready to be used. You just got to get past your unworthiness that you're not good enough. And you need to look to the cross and say, I know that I'm not good enough, but he made me good enough. His blood covers me. He loves me. He desires me. He wants me. He wants to see me do amazing things because I'm his son and I'm his daughter. I'm the one that he called. I'm the one he wants to use. He has such a deep love for me that he believes that I'm capable of everything. He believes that I can do anything. He doesn't think I'm unworthy. He thinks I'm invaluable.